Welcome back again to our midweek Bible study, and congratulations on making it through the polar vortex. I mean, there's of course still plenty of snow on the way this winter, but at least we're making our way out of the single-digit temperatures. And this week, we are making our way through one of the all-time great passages in the entire New Testament. In fact, Peter O'Brien devoted nearly 100 of his 550-page commentary on Philippians just to this passage, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. It's often seen as like a poem or a hymn, sometimes people call it, and it teaches us all about Jesus Christ in just a half dozen what are very profound verses. Listen then to what Paul wrote in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We are going to try our best to plumb the depths of this profound passage under six headings, which are found in your notes outline if you're using that. They are the mind of Christ, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the death of Christ, the exaltation of Christ, and the acknowledgement of Christ. So we start with the mind of Christ in chapter 2, verse 5, which links back to chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 from last week. And you'll recall that Paul has called the Philippians and us to humbly look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And now, in verse 5, Paul calls the Philippians and us to have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Right? We want to grasp what the Messiah Jesus has in mind, what he was all about. And then we want to have that same mindset ourselves, humbly looking out for others. The Philippians and we must adopt a communal frame of mind which fits those who were united in Jesus. Right? As those who are in Christ, we must think and relate to each other in the same way that our Messiah did. The mindset of Jesus, this mindset of selflessness and humility, Paul says, have that among yourselves. And in verse 6, we move from the mind of Christ to the deity of Christ. You see, Jesus was in the form of God. And Paul here uses a strong Greek word that means that which truly characterizes a given reality. Jesus was really and truly divine being in very nature God, the NIV translates it. Yes, and, and the question is, how was Jesus' real, true, divine nature 
than express. It's two ways to look at it. Put negatively, Jesus did not see being equal with God as something to use for his own advantage. No, Christ being God did not manifest itself in him grasping or or seizing something. Jesus refused to take advantage of his equality with God, though it was certainly a popular view then and and even as now today, I think, of gods and lords and emperors. No, Jesus never acted out of that kind of selfish ambition. Again, linking back to verse 3. So on the negative hand, he did not ever exploit or use his uh, equality with God for a wrong purpose, and positively, he took what had always been his, his advantageous position of experiencing eternal glory in heaven, and he set it aside. He set it aside for the sake of others. Shockingly, as we will see in verse 7, Jesus shows his equality with God not by grasping, but by giving, by emptying himself. And here we move from the deity of Christ to the humanity of Christ. While remaining fully God at all times, Christ also became fully human. The way Jesus expressed his unselfish, other-centered mindset was to empty himself or make himself nothing by taking the form of a servant. In John 17, 5, you might recall Jesus speaks of the glory that he enjoyed with God the Father before the world even existed. And here we read of how Jesus emptied himself of that, what had been up to that point, uninterrupted heavenly glory by being made in the likeness of men. The creator of all now being born as a human baby. And not only that, not only a real human but also a real, true servant. That's a startling reality. Jesus was, in his very nature, both God and a servant. He shows us that divinity and servanthood are actually compatible. They work together harmoniously. As Jesus himself said in Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came to earth not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, for others. In Jesus, then, we see God pouring himself out for others. And Jesus wasn't just any servant. No, he was the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And we see that in verse 8 as we move from the humanity of Christ to the death of Christ. The one who was in the form of God, meaning he was really true God, verse 6, was found in human form, verse 8. I mean, the thousands who encountered Jesus in first century Palestine, they knew that in every recognizable way, he was a human. There was no doubt. Matthew 13, 54 to 56 records how in Jesus' own hometown synagogue, where he had grown up, they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Are not his brothers... James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, right? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not all his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? There was absolutely no doubt that Jesus was a man. 
But besides leaving the glories of heaven for the hardships of earth, joining himself to humanity, Jesus further humbled himself and became obedient to God the Father right up to the point of death. Even the most shameful, degrading death, death on a cross, crucifixion. Christ descended, think about it, from the highest glories of heaven to the lowest depths of enduring crucifixion at the hands of those that he had created. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.8 that the rulers of this age crucified the Lord of glory. That is mind-boggling. Jesus humbled himself to the absolute lowest place for others' sake. Gordon Fee helpfully reminds us that no one in Philippi or anywhere else in the first century, for that matter, would have had a a cross kind of like emblazoned on their Bible or put a cross on their necklace or would have had a cross on a steeple on their local church. And the cross was a cruel form of execution. It was reserved mainly, in fact, for non-citizens of the Roman Empire. So, before proceeding, let's take stock of where we've come so far. Drawing on Moises Silva's summary, he says this, The divine and pre-existent Christ did not regard the advantage of his deity as grounds to avoid the incarnation. No, on the contrary, he was willing to regard himself as nothing by taking on human form. And then he further lowered himself in servanthood by obeying God to the point of an ignominious death. That is the mind of Christ, right? That's what it's all about, to utterly humble oneself in order to seek the interests of others. As followers of Jesus, that is what we're called to. And of course, This true story of Jesus has the best ending of all because the death of Christ was then followed by the exaltation of Christ. And you see that in verse 9. Therefore, therefore, because the divine Christ humbly took on human nature as a servant and was obedient to death on a cross, no less, God has highly exalted him in response to Christ's selfless humility and perfect obedience, God has lifted up Jesus as the highest of all. He's exalted him to the highest possible degree over all creation. And a key way that God has, notice it's past tense there, has highly exalted Jesus is by bestowing on him or gracing him, we could translate it, with this name that is above every name. Right? And that name is likely the name Lord. Uh, we're going to see that explicitly two verses later in verse 11, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's sort of similar to how Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 21, that God raised Jesus from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And that's not all. Christ's exaltation will ultimately culminate in the universal acknowledgement of Christ. And we see that in verses 10 and 11. 
you notice that the purpose of Jesus' exaltation is so that, so that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now, I think we realize bowing the knee is an act of homage or obeisance, right? Recognizing the authority of a superior. In Isaiah 45, 23, Yahweh says, To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And Paul clarifies here in Philippians 2.10 that, in fact, Jesus is the Lord to whom every knee shall bow, including all beings in heaven, on earth, and even probably the dead. Picture here as those under the earth who will be raised to acknowledge Jesus' lordship, his supreme authority over all. Besides every knee bowing at the name of Jesus, every tongue will also confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All, all will verbally recognize the reality of Jesus' name or his title as Lord. The Lord is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the God-man who was obedient unto death and is exalted high, high above all. I don't know why, maybe it's just my quirk, but I've been thinking a lot lately about that scene when all the animals bow down before the Lion King, Simba, you know. But only with Jesus, right, it's real. (laughs) And it is infinitely greater as every creature in the universe, not just those at Pride Rock, every creature in the universe bows their knee and confesses with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Son's exaltation will in no way detract from the glory due to the Father, right? This is no zero-sum game or more glory for you means less for me. No, rather, as God the Son is highly exalted, it's all to the glory of God the Father as well. Think of how encouraging this would have been to the Philippians. Let's get back to the original context. Paul's telling them that one day there is going to be a universal acknowledgement of Christ, whether it's a willing, cheerful acknowledgement in this life, or perhaps an unwilling, grudging acknowledgement in the future. Eventually, everyone will confess Philippians, what your little suffering church there in Philippi is confessing when you gather for worship, that Jesus is Lord. You're on the right side, Philippians. Just as Jesus suffered and then was vindicated, you will be too, because you're following the one true Lord, to whom every knee shall eventually bow and every tongue shall pay homage. All will submit, and all will confess. But you, Philippians, who believe now, you will be vindicated, saved. Oh man, there are so many profound theological truths in these half dozen verses. And there are also, I think, several practical applications for us to consider now in closing. I'm going to just suggest three to you. Number one, like Jesus, say no to grasping and yes to giving to others, right? Have Christ's mindset by humbly, sacrificially looking out for others, 
right? We don't want to miss the central point of this passage in its context, which is, like Jesus, have this mind among yourselves to say no to grasping for self and yes to giving to others. Number two, while there is still time for them, tell others the good news of Jesus. Jesus, is, it's all here in Philippians 2, right? Jesus is fully God and he's fully human. He died on a cross. He was exalted as Lord. Embrace him willingly now, not grudgingly when it's too late. So maybe you can look for opportunities, maybe even this week, to share the gospel right out of Philippians 2. While there's still time for them, tell others the good news, the great news about Jesus. And number three, to bow our knees every day, living with Christ as the Lord of every area of our lives, right? As we trust in Christ's perfectly obedient, atoning death in our place that rescues us, we also want to live in loving obedience to Jesus ourselves. So third and finally, bow our knees every day, living with Christ as the true Lord and master of every sphere of our existence. Let's pray. Father, as the hymn says, we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. How he was fully God, but didn't count equality with you a thing to be grasped. How instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. How he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. How you have highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And how at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord, which is to your glory, Father. God, we want to have that same mindset among ourselves here at Parkside Green by humbly, sacrificially looking out for others. We also want to tell others the good news of Jesus while there's still time for them to be saved. And we want to bow our knees every hour of every day, living under the Lordship of Christ in every sphere of our lives. In all these things, we are dependent on your help so we ask you now to make us more like your glorious Son, Jesus, through whom we pray. Amen.